who are able, able to join us. Uh, you are able to participate in what we've done for the last uh, three years now. Uh, it is a, uh, a prayer walk. And for those of you who haven't uh, attended on one of those Wednesday nights, I want to describe a little bit of, of what took place. We had eight different stations uh, around uh, the building, some inside, some kind of a little bit on the outside. Uh, and we gave people an opportunity to pray for some different things. And, and one thing I feel really, really strongly about is there's nothing that any of us as individuals or a group can do without the power and the assistance of God. Uh, I, I believe very strongly in that, and I believe that, that prayer is an opportunity for us to grow in relationship into God. It's an opportunity uh, to connect with Him and an opportunity to bring our requests before Him. And so that's a lot of what we did this last Wednesday night. We had a station up here. It was an opportunity for people to come in and uh, sit in our purple pews, not on a Sunday morning, and just spend time in prayer over the worship uh, that would be taking place. And I believe with all of my heart that we were just able to reap some of the benefits from that. That was just an amazing opportunity, our time of, of singing and, and uh, uh, the uh, connection that Barry made with the Passover and, and Jesus being our Lamb was just so powerful. Uh, we continued on on Wednesday night uh, for those uh, prayed here. Then we went over to this door that's kind of near City Hall and we prayed for our leaders, for our mayor, for our city commissioner, for our city council, all of those who are involved in that. Uh, we then also... Uh, prayed for our state, uh, state and federal leaders and prayed that we as individuals wouldn't expect one person sitting in a White House thousands of miles away to make all the decisions that we would be people of action uh, and that we would be involved in, in the government system. We moved down the hallway a little bit and went into the family room where, you guessed it, we prayed for families. We prayed for uh, our, our spouses, uh, prayed for our children, uh, prayed for parents, prayed that in all three of those that God would be glorified. We prayed for the families here in our communities that they would glorify God and we prayed uh, for the broken families and the kids who all that they know is abuse and neglect and prayed that God would be with them in that time. And then we moved on down around the corner and went into that uh, kind of youth area and we prayed for the youth programs, for the Bible teachers, uh, that, that God would work in a powerful way to plant seeds and uh, water seeds, that we would do that and God would allow growth. We continued on down the hallway towards this northwest door and, and prayed for our outreach that takes place here, specifically with our clothing room, but also with World Bible School for our missionaries uh, and an opportunity for us to reach out to people who are hurting. We are the church, which literally means in Greek, we are the called out. We are not the come in, we're the called out. So we're to go out and, and reach out. And then we jumped into the quads uh, and had an opportunity to pray just for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that in all that we do, that God be glorified uh, through our actions. And remember that that is what it's really all about, is honoring God uh, and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit which lives within us. We jumped over to our seventh station, uh, and we ended up in the elders' room, and we chose that as an opportunity to pray for the leaders uh, of the church, for the elders, uh, for the deacons. I ask that you continue to pray for the ministers, because Lance Rowell and myself and our families, we definitely need your prayers. Uh, as I'm, I'm sure if you know any of us, you know we need your prayers. 
And then we also prayed while in there that we recognize that the leadership aren't just necessarily people who may have a title or who may work in an office in this building, but all of us are called uh, to be ministers, that all, all of us are called to be ambassadors. As you go out, you are ministers and leaders in your community and in your workplace. And then the last, we ended up over here just in this little that glass area or maybe just outside and we prayed for the community and prayed that God would be glorified uh, as we live in a broken world. Um, just visited uh, with, with Jennifer, we were having a conversation, and she had gone uh, to one of the, the new teacher trainings, and at one time they had a, a police officer uh, stand up, and he was talking about the drug problem that is Hobbes is facing. And he, he looked at those teachers and he says, I want to tell you something, and you're not going to like this, but I want to tell you something. We are not winning the war on drugs. We are losing the war on drugs. And for those of you who are involved in the school system, for those who are involved in the judicial system, for those of you who are involved in law enforcement, you know that drugs are rampant. But it's not just drugs, it's sin. But let me tell you something that the police officer can't tell you. We are winning the war for Jesus. Because He has already won it. And we're just praying that He will equip us, He will open our eyes and open our hearts and open our hands and we will go out into this world and we will share His love. And my prayer for each one of you, for those of you who attended on Wednesday night and those of you who didn't, please let us continue to be a people of, of prayer. That is the only way that good will happen in Hobbes is if we allow God to work powerfully. If, if God uh, is for us, there's absolutely nothing that can stop us. Uh, and so for those of you who said, you know what, I would, I would love to, to work on my prayer life like that, back there at the, what we call the Welcome Center, just the little uh, wooden stand back there, we have some uh, extra copies, and you can take them home, and there are different ways that you can pray for those different areas. Uh, and I encourage you to continue to do that. So how can I spend six minutes talking about prayer and then not uh, spend time in prayer? So let's do that at this time. Father God, I just I pray that what is going to take place over the next few minutes will be glorifying to You. Uh, that it will lift up the people uh, in this room. It will encourage them. Uh, and it will help equip us all as we go out into this world. Thank You again for Your Son Jesus and for Your Spirit that is right here, right now. Lord, I just pray that we will honor You in all that we do. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Ephesians. What do we know about the book of Ephesians? Well, we know it is written by Paul. Okay, this is going to be a very interactive sermon. Probably the most I've had in, in several years, maybe the most ever. So it's going to be a really, really short one if you don't help me out. So we know it's written by Paul. It was written while he was in... He was not in Ephesus when he wrote that. That was a trick question. Where, where was he? I want to be very specific. I'm not looking at the town, but he was in a, a, a specific location. He was in jail. He was in prison, okay? Um, and he wrote to the church in Ephesus. Okay, so how do we know this? Well, open up Ephesians and it's going to tell us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. 
And in chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Okay, so he's not talking about Mr. T chains around his neck. He's talking about he is in prison. In fact, uh, this is what Bible scholars uh, call this one of his prison epistles. This is one of four letters that he writes from Rome in prison to different entities. Uh, I say entities because we have three churches. We have uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then we have Philemon, which is an all different book together, and I can't wait to talk about that, but that's weeks away, so hang with me. So we've answered those questions, and the sermon is now over. So if we can just stand and sing, we're, are we ready? Are we done? Don't, don't get too excited. Some of you are just getting ready for your nap. And I can't explain this. I'm going to go off on a tangent for about 30 seconds. What's the deal with the phrase, let us stand and sing? Is, I don't know about you all, but growing up as a child, that became the alarm clock in my life. Uh, I, think, I think we should have a Church of Christ alarm clock that it doesn't beep or buzz or blare a radio. All it says is, will you come as we stand and sing? And everybody knows it's time to wake up right then. So, stay with me for a while. Don't go to sleep. So we've answered these questions. It's Paul. He's in jail. He's writing to, to Ephesus. But wait. While Bible scholars feel certain that the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemons in the early 60s while in, in Rome, they're not certain as to who the specific recipients are of this letter. And you're saying, wait, wait, no, we've already read this. Go back to one one, where it says... He says right here, he says, to God's holy people in Ephesus. Now make sure you have your Bibles open, and it's open to Ephesians, and you're looking at chapter 1, verse 1. Some of you are going to note that there's a little A in brackets. How many of you have a little A in brackets beside, in chapter 1, verse 1? If you go back and look, some of yours have that. And, and what it denotes is, if you look down at the bottom, it says in the footnotes that the earliest manuscripts do not have the phrase in Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to blow your mind. I'm not trying to say that Ephesians is heresy. I'm just suggesting that when Paul originally wrote this letter, he quite possibly did not intend for his specific audience to be only the congregation or the congregations or the churches that met in Ephesus. And here's why I want to argue this. The letter was most likely not intended for one specific congregation. Here's my backup to this, and we're going to get somewhere, so hang with me. Notice that the absence of any personal greeting, nor any mention of any specific individuals all throughout. The only exception is at the end, he starts talking about Tychicus. I love that name. If I had another child, which we're not, but if we did, we would name him Tychicus. Maybe I'll have a dog named Tychicus someday. And what did Tychicus do? He delivered the letter 
to the various congregations who would receive it. In addition, there is no discussion about any specific problems or any attempt to correct any particular heresy. We've looked at First and Second Corinthians. We've looked at Galatians. All of those are just wrought with all these different uh, rebukes from Paul saying, you got to stop doing that, and you can't do this, and you need this. We don't have any of this very specific information in uh, Ephesians. Another thing, the last thing, why I don't think that Paul intended this letter to go straight and only to the church in Ephesus, is that there is no personal information in this letter. Well, well, that's not a big deal. There were sometimes he didn't. There are several letters that he wrote that he actually didn't even know the congregation. That's not the case with the church in Ephesus. He uh, uh, visited them for a short period in his second journey, his third journey, missionary journey. He stayed with them for three years. He knew them well. He started the church. He helped establish it. And then after he got ran off, he still kept in contact with them. And here is another example where he is concerned about that church. But it seems like this is not a specific personal letter, but rather it was more of a blanket treatise meant to be passed around. Why would he do this? And and more importantly, what would he say? What would he say if he had an opportunity for a blank piece of paper or papyrus in his case and he could sit down, he had lots of time, he's in jail, I mean there, there was no cable TV, he wasn't wor- working out or lifting weights, I mean he, this is it. And so he's in there and he says I'm going to start writing letters and he writes a letter, we know he writes specific letters to the church in Colossae and it's uh, accompanied with a letter uh, to Philemon, one of the, the members there, but Ephesians... If it is a blanket letter, what would he say? And so now, this is where it's going to be open dialogue, because I really want your help. I want you to be the Apostle Paul, just for this morning. And I want to ask you this question. You you have lots of free time, which is mind-blowing in and of itself. But you have lots of free time. You have a pen in your hand. You have a piece of paper in front of you. And you have an opportunity to write a letter that is going to be passed around to all the churches in America. And I want to ask you, and I'm serious, we can have ten minutes of silence or you can help me out. I want to know if you could write a letter that would be read maybe by younger Christians, maybe some middle-aged ones, but certainly preparing them for the future. What are some things that you would want to tell them? What do you think that would help them in now and in the coming years? Okay, open mic. Let's go. What would you say to him? Pray for spiritual wisdom. If you could write down, you'd say, pray for spiritual wisdom. It's something that Solomon did. Okay, what else? Stand firm. Okay, is this something that, that maybe we've, we've read about? Uh, if you listen to this, how about Ephesians chapter 6? He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
I mean, it, it was a pretty volatile time. This is a, a time where just in a few years, Nero's going to go crazy. He's seeing what's about to take place. If this was written in 62, which we believe it has, uh, it's really ramping up. Within 10 years, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. It's going to be sacked. The temple, temple is going to be uh, uh, taken down to the, the ground. And he's preparing them. It's going to get tough. Stand firm. Now, I don't want to suggests that this is what's going to happen in the next 10 years. But, but don't you see some moral decay taking place in our society? I mean, it's not good Christian anymore. Uh, if you go to church, you're usually not considered necessarily a good person anymore. Uh, there, are, there are more and more outside pressures uh, against religion and against spirituality and I think one of the things that I would want to tell people and what Paula would suggest is, hey, stand firm. Don't give up. Okay, what else? What else? If you could write this letter, if you could say to the churches in America and the young people, what do you want to say? Lynn? What Paul said is, quit being divided. Yeah. Yeah, he Ephesians is a, a blanket call for unity. Uh, and there's different ways that he's going to encourage them to do that. But there are the seven ones. I'm going to spend more time talking about that in class. And I know you're anxious to hear about that. So I don't want to give that away. That is the carrot I'm dangling in front for you to go to class in the quads after this is over. But talk about that one spirit and one faith and one hope. Uh, and he's calling for unity. The best way to destroy a church is from the inside. Satan doesn't have to come up with these elaborate schemes. He can do something really simple like someone suggesting we change the color of the carpet. Or should we add a Coke machine in the building? Which I'm still in favor of because we could use that, you know? Sometimes Monday mornings are tough. I could have a little caffeine in there. Maybe we can include some water in there, okay? Something to think about. See, some people get upset about these things and we start uh, drawing lines and saying, well, I'm on this side and he's on this side and we start tearing each other apart. Well, I vote this way. Well, I vote this way. Well, I'm, I, I like this school or, or this team and we start tearing each other apart. Well, I think this is what the Bible says and I think this is what the Bible says. And we can't come together in unity because we're too busy trying to attack each other. Be unified. What else? Be strong. Be strong. It's funny how many times, not ha-ha funny, but interesting funny, how many times that, that Jesus came into His apostles and He's talking to them and He says, be strong. How many times God goes to Joshua and He says, be strong. That this is tough. I, I, I was asking some individuals beforehand. I said, what are some things you know that you would want to say? And one said, well, I don't know that I would want to be the person who says this, but it wouldn't be bad if you mentioned it. <laughs> but they said, understand that God is not Santa Claus. 
that we've got to get past this idea that we come into here so God can give us stuff and lavish us stuff and that He's this, this little genie, and I'm, I'm kind of speaking beyond what He said, but we have to understand that we are in a battle. Listen to this, it goes on in, also in Ephesians chapter 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. You ever get ready to go on a trip? Think about the things that you want to pack? You know, you pack differently for different things, don't you? I have learned now that when I go to Pine Springs Camp, I will never leave the house without rubber boots and an umbrella and a raincoat and a a good-sized parka, because it rains and it gets cold up there sometimes. Okay, When I go to different places, I'm not going to take a parka if I go down and visit Mexico. It, that would just be a bad idea. Okay, When you prepared to come here this morning, what did you pack? What were you mentally preparing yourself for? Is this, I'm coming here, I hope I like the songs, and I hope Doug is, you know, has a good sermon and it's short? You know, probably neither of those is going to happen, but I can guarantee you one is not going to happen. So, how do you prepare? For those of you who have been in the military... My guess is, if you got the orders to say you're going to go be on a ship and you're in the military, you did not pack your Hawaiian shirt. Okay, You did not take flip-flops with you. And Paul is saying here, be prepared. Being a part of a church, being a part of the called out, it's not flip-flop group. This is combat boots. we got to get out there and we need to help Show and shine Jesus. And it is not easy in a very messy world. What else? Anything else that you would say? Train your children in the Lord. Like, don't let the generation miss out. And I am admittedly somewhat critical of our millennials. And the way that it seems like, as a blanket statement, if I could just take a big, uh, broad brush and paint millennials, I would say they love to sit around and do nothing and expect that in uh, 20 years they're going to be millionaires. In the meantime, they're going to chill out at mom and dad's house wearing a beanie and skinny jeans. Okay, and a tight shirt. Okay, so now I've offended those of you. Are, you got that role? Are you offended? Good. I'm, I'm glad that I've done that. Okay, um, so that's a blanket statement. And so now I'm going to say this in defense of the millennials. They are who we have created them to be. Okay, so before we just attack them, we have to remember that it's, it's my generations, it's the, the 40s and the 50s that we've kind of created a society that has allowed them to feel that the way that they do. 
It's why we love, it's why I love the greatest generations uh, that grew up in the 20s and the 30s because they're the ones that they didn't have all those opportunities and they had to work hard at it. And it built character. And, and it, when it was time for them to make a sacrifice for their family or for their country, it's something they did as their duty. And that's because of the environment that they created. We need to create an environment that helps our kids grow in this difficult time. Gina, you had your hand up? A DAism. Here we go. What you permit, you promote. I have only heard that about three or four hundred times, and that's something that DA feels strongly about, is that we, we need to be responsible for raising our kids. I'm going to tell you, it's not Lance's responsibility, and it's not Raul's responsibility, and it's not my responsibility. And we can gather up all the Bible class teachers that we will next Sunday, and we can bring them up and you can say, that's the one who's in charge of my child's spiritual growth. And I'm going to say, it's not. You are. You're responsible for raising your children. That's something I would want to write to our churches. The, these children, they are under attack. It is hard being a teacher. I, I can't imagine that. It is amazingly difficult to be an adolescent or a preteen at this time. Uh, another one of the things I learned from Jennifer uh, is, is the different uh, the, the ages in which kids are getting involved in drugs. In elementary schools, we have kids who are, are helping their big brother sell dope in the school. And they have found creative ways in order to smuggle that in through markers and, uh, and through chewy gumdrops that are laced with marijuana or any other type. And this is, I didn't think about this at eight years old, nine years old. And yet we have kids who are really struggling with this. Uh, and so we need to remind people. Okay, uh, time for one more. Some. Don't be afraid to stand up. Stand out. Stand up and stand out. Uh, Jackie said, don't be afraid to stand up and stand out. All throughout Ephesians, he gives all these great encouragements and he looks to Jesus and he says, look, based on what Jesus did, this is how we are to live. And he's going to use that uh, and talk about his humility and our attitude with other people. And he tells them over and over again, stand firm, be strong, don't give up. You, you go to the mailbox on Monday and you pull out an envelope, which is weird because the only time you get an envelope is when somebody wants your money, right? But this is a really, it is hand addressed to you. And you open it up. And from the great Apostle Paul, you begin reading this letter. And he says, he says, be humble and be unified. And be strong. This is the letter that was written not just to a specific group that met in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but it's one that as we read it today, it serves as a reminder. Be strong. Trust in the Lord. Be humble in the way that you see yourself in the way that you view other people. And never 
give up. For the teachers, as you're heading back to school, don't give up. For the coaches, for the administrators, don't give up. We had about three or four dozen people stand up. We had the students, teachers, and staff all standing up. You are the shining light that is going into the public school system in about three days. And we are praying for you to stand firm. And for those of us who aren't in the school system, we are in a sphere where we can influence people, whether it's just visiting with the clerk or the postman or wherever you are, you have an opportunity. Stand firm. God has won. Let's go out and save some souls for Jesus. If there's any way we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.